0: Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. Today on our show, we're going to have two segments. One, uh, discussion about long-distance friendships. And the other is going to be a story told by my friend Josh Ferris about a plane crash um, that is very fascinating and just a riveting story. So stick around for that. I have uh, really been in a funk recently. Uh, in the last three or four days, I don't know if it's because I'm on night shift now, um, but it's, uh, I don't know, I just drank a cup of coffee and it's helped. Uh, it it has elevated my mood um, enough to get behind the microphone here and do this show. I've been wanting to put uh, Josh's show on the uh, air for several days now and just couldn't muster up the excitement to do it. Um... And it really makes me think about how great coffee is. And I'm not somebody that does a lot of coffee. I have sort of a in my head a roll of um, 16 ounces maybe a day. Uh, I don't want to be one of these people that's like addicted and gets headaches and stuff. And I'll take a day off. And maybe that's my OCD, which is self-diagnosed. But um, I mean, I don't really think I have OCD. But um, anyways. Uh, the good thing is though I have been running more. So f- for all those that have been concerned about my, uh, I know I mentioned before the lack of running, you know, the heat, it was 97 degrees here with s- super high humidity. It was just terrible. Um, anyways, uh, if you have any thoughts or concerns, uh, you can email the show at PR No, that's not right. You can email the show at PRC show at gmail.com PRC show at gmail.com and uh, I've been uh, we've been getting a lot of emails and uh, I really appreciate them most of them have been positive and encouraging a couple negatives but uh, I'll read a couple here um, this one is uh I couldn't believe you know we we're reaching a, a wide audience obviously on the on the web here because I got one here from Edward Snowden um, Edward Snowden's the guy that that uh, kind of uncovered that, you know, the National Security security Agency is uh, listening to our phone calls and emails and all that stuff, but here's his email. Paul, I think your show is great, but watch what you say they're listening. I'm craving more episodes. Any chance you can put more up? Anyways, I've listened to all your shows twice now. I've had a difficult time learning Russian, and the food here is terrible. Your shows have really helped me get through these boring times here. Thanks for doing the show, and maybe I can be on it someday when the dust settles. Well, how about that? I mean, I, uh, I think that's great that he's listening. Um, I hope everything works out for him. I uh, think what he did is a great thing. Um, and then we have this other email. Now this, I'll tell you what, I have, uh, well, I'm not going to say I'm a huge fan. I mean, maybe I'm not even a fan, but listen to this one. Tell me who you think it is. Maybe by the end of this you'll know. It's it's She sent me this email and it's uh it's actually mean. I mean it's not mean, but okay, here it goes. Paul. We all start somewhere, but some people shouldn't start at all. Perhaps you'd be better off selling your recording equipment and pay for some phonics classes and learn how to speak. I have no idea why Stedman enjoys your show. Oprah Winfrey. Now, isn't that something? Oprah is Oprah. End up listening to the show. Now, maybe she only heard uh, the last episode. I don't think it was that great. Maybe she heard that one. I don't know. Um, last episode was uneven, I think. E- either way, uh, that she uh, even knows who I am and has listened is great. And you know what, Oprah? What I'll say is I think Stedman's going to continue to enjoy the show. He will find a show in the future. Maybe it's this one because I have uh, this episode I did do a lot of uh, reading for uh, on women's magazines for this episode. Maybe um, maybe he'll let you listen and you'll become a, a, a fan and, and email me back. But anyways, thanks for the emails um, everyone and you can email the show at PRC show at gmail.com That's prcshow show at gmail.com. All right. Now, as all shows are sponsored by things, uh, our show is sponsored by all the books that I own that I haven't read. Now, this show is sponsored by a book called um, The Brothers K by David James Duncan. Now, the story behind this book is that my friend Dan in Chicago has was raving about this book, and he has given me several uh, recommendations on books that I would like. And he's like two for two or three for three. Well, one was, uh, oh, that book about John Brown by uh, what the Cloud Splitter, which I really enjoyed. And then Sacred Hunger, which was amazing. That's a book that I plan on reading again soon. I want to. I just have a, such a huge reading list. So anyways, uh, Dan recommended this book for me. And I think he said like people like cry when they read it and all that jazz, which sounds great. And it's... It's not I don't think it's a takeoff of uh the brothers Karamazov or maybe it was for some loose I guess there's some brothers, whatever. Um, but it's a book about uh family American family. Four brothers, uh, come of age during like the sixties and the Vietnam War and all that stuff, I think. <clears throat> but um so I'm against like buying new books for the most part. And so this book was on my used book list like looking for it in used bookstores forever and on one of these trips out to chicago to visit my friend dan i was actually in minneapolis at the time i was we're coming back from we solved him during our trip anyways i saw this in a used bookstore and i was just like oh i gotta pick this up and i intend to read it at a certain point but uh just haven't got around to it because when I read books, I like to have a uh, have other books that I'm sort of, you know, uh, dovetailing them in between a theme or something like that. And right now I'm on the English Revolution and um, kind of uh, European history, so this doesn't fit into that. Anyways, uh, the book is called The Brothers K by David James Duncan. Um, pick it up at a used bookstore like I did. Uh, read it. Let me know how it is. show at gmail.com Okay, now on to our discussion about uh, long-distance friendships. (laughs) Do people have a lot of long-distance friendships? Because that's sort of um, all that I have at this point. I just moved to this new city, the, the great Harrisburg, PA, been here four months or so and I'm starting to realize uh how important friends are you know this sounds like somebody that doesn't have kids because I don't you know I'm 29 and holding um but uh you know I really feel that uh friends are probably the most important I mean maybe not the most but I'm probably closer to friends than I am family in some ways but um I've done a lot to sort of maintain these friendships, and it does take effort. But it's uh, you know I send people postcards that I make um, that reflect my sense of humor and sensibilities, um, emails and all that stuff. But uh, maintaining long distance friendships is hard, and but it's important. It's a priority for me. Do do other people have this? You know, I was looking online. And I think with technology. This really makes it uh, the internet and all that jazz makes it doable. And I wonder if this is happening more now than it did in the past. I, I bet it is. Um, and you know what's funny, I'm not even on Facebook. I'm somebody that doesn't do Facebook. See, I take my friend's friendships very seriously. Now some would say I throw friendships in the wood chipper. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty loyal person, but if uh, I feel betrayed, um, or I'm not getting attention. I can get upset, and uh, I'm working on that. But, um, you know, I'm not on Facebook, and if I was, I'd probably have probably under 20 friends. But um, or th- that sounds like a lot. I mean, I don't know. Um, but so I was looking online at these different sites that say, you know, how to uh, maintain long-distance friendships. And um, by the way, they happen to be, like, female journalist-ish websites like cause well one's called exo jane exo jane is where women go when they are being selfish and where their selfishness is applauded anyways that gave me some tips on uh, how to keep a long-distance friendship as did um what's this other one called verily magazine i don't even know what is that what it is is a women's magazine, one that celebrates the best of who you are. We feature fashion that is worthy of the woman, relationship articles that go beyond sex tips, and strong cultural and lifestyle journalism. It's a modern woman's go-to guide on how to lead a fulfilling, integrated life. Well, that's where I went to, uh, as a, you know, 30-year-old plus man to... uh Look on tips to maintain long-distance friendships. And here this is the list that they sort of, both of these sites, I think I looked at another one, came up with on how to um, maintain long-distance friendships. One was, uh, I think, impractical, but share a blog. Create a blog together. And, I mean, these were kids right out of college, I think. And that's the author of that particular article. Pick up the phone, make phone calls, schedule... Schedule phone conversations, mass emails, um, uh, do nice things for people, Skype, plan and save up for visits. The one that I, this is a good one here, and this is one that I need to do better at. And for Pete's sake, this is what Jesus taught us. Uh, Not that I'm into that stuff, but forgive. Man, I am bad at that. I mean, uh, sometimes people don't even know that I'm mad at them. Frankly, that's probably most of the time. But um, forgive is one thing. You know, people... I think I'm better at forgiving or making uh, allowances for some. But, uh, you know, l- and let me... Let's let's stick on that point for a second. Um, you know, I have a friend in Chicago. Well, I have two friends in Chicago, but one I see more frequently, and he travels here, so... Uh, I'm not going to talk about you, Anthony. Um, but my other friend, Dan, you know, I've only... Jeez, sp- I... I've only spent probably a total in my whole life, uh, probably less than two months with him in physical contact. Well, not physical, not like we were touching. But, you know, we met at an internship, a union internship in the year 2001, uh, four weeks. And then uh, I visited him uh, probably every other summer or so in Chicago. And we talk, I mean, literally like two or four, two to four or five times a year Send some emails to each other. He's visited me. Um, now that's the thing where I forgive. I give more allowances to him. That he seems like he has a lot of family and friends, so I'm not as uh, I don't feel as bad about him not visiting as much. But also, he lives in Chicago, and it was easy for me to visit. Uh, and my wife wanted to visit there, and also Anthony lives there now. But anyways, um, you know, it's weird how things work because uh, I don't know. I think we have a good connection. Um, I consider him a pretty close friend, even though I don't even talk to him that much. But uh, you know, th- how do I maintain that friendship? I mean, I th- is it the postcards? Is it just the every t- when I do talk to him, I feel like we kind of pick up, we almost pick up with where we left off, but we can get into some uh pretty good uh heartfelt discussions and have a good time and stuff. Um, now maybe he has a lot more uh, friends like that than than I think, but I don't think so. I mean, he's told me as such, and anyways um you know uh i i mean i got people philly detroit pittsburgh uh, baltimore as i said chicago seattle miami toledo dc um we have some friends in new york city cleveland um places in ohio i'm probably even missing spots, some of that but um it is really hard to kind of do this and you know th- I think like I said I'm doing this podcast cuz I guess I'm a little bit lonely out here so I'm talking into a microphone but um I think this is more common I think more people are doing this particularly people that don't have kids um, I don't know. Do your friends just go out the window when you have kids? I mean, I know they don't, but you know, you you got to love your kids. These offspring come up, and then you got to be feeding them and burping them and all that stuff. And you can't, uh, you don't have time to do a podcast and you don't have time to, uh, send text messages and all that stuff. So, but I think these, uh, female uh, blogs are right on the, the main things you got to do, you know, texting and, uh, but forgiving. You know, don't be pissed if someone doesn't, um, you know, pick up the phone, or uh, return your call, I mean, that's one thing with me, I sort of, uh, I have another friend that, um, he is like, it's almost like a three strikes and you're out, if he contacts, if he doesn't receive a return call, or text within three of his, I think it's two strikes, actually, with him, he does two efforts to reach you, done, I mean, he, it's like, you are no longer a friend, and I, I respect that about him, actually, I, I'm almost the same way. I think I'm more of like a four strikes you're out. Um but uh I don't even go for that. I'll go two and then I'll wait and then let the tables reset. He's pretty diligent about that. And uh, you know, he's a sensitive guy like myself. Um he probably wouldn't admit that, but uh anyways, um you know I just find that uh this life that we're living here. This is the way it is. You, you know, we, we don't all work in factories and uh, uh, have the same sort of jobs and we're, everyone's moving around. Um, and that's just how you got to do it. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Email the show at prccooley at gmail.com if you have any tips or suggestions or thoughts on uh, long-distance friendships. Um, I had a friend, uh, Keisha, once tell me that friendships are like trees. Well, that's not what she said. The way you can think about friendships is like this. You have a tree, and, uh, and, you're, and you know in your life you're going to have different friends come and go. Some friends represent different parts of the tree. So your really close friends, the friends that you can really rely on are like the trunk of the tree. Those are the ones that um, you can really lean on. You know, the trunk of a tree sturdy. You can do all this stuff, but that trunk's not going to go anywhere. And that's sort of like my fault is that I want basically all my friends to be like that, which is insane. Um, and I, so I need to, you know, I'm working on that, but then you have uh, the leaves, and I'm okay with that, you know, is the um, the leaves on the tree, or, you know, you go to different jobs, you might be friends with folks for, um, you know, just a period, a couple weeks, couple months, a couple years, but life moves on, the leaves fall off the tree, and uh, so does that friendship, it goes away, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, that's how life is. And then you have the branches, and there's different levels of branches. Some branches you can lean a lot more on, but it'll. But if you put too much weight on it, it's going to break and snap, and that friendship's over, and that branch is broken. And um, I think that's the trick of you know figuring out how much uh, how much you put on those, you know. Um, so uh, I-, I like that analogy because. It made me realize that I can... Uh, everyone doesn't have to be a trunk. I don't know why. I mean, it's so ridiculous that she had to tell me that to make me realize that, yo, know, maybe I'm putting too much pressure or... Not pressure, but I'm expecting and demanding too much on some of these friendships. You know, and, some, and everybody's different. I mean, I, I'm not the closest person with my family members. Some people are super close. Eat dinner with them three times a week or, you know, talking to their parents every night. I mean, oh, my God, I could never... Now maybe if my mom was alive it would be different. Who knows? Um I think I mean obviously it would be. Um But uh even then I've always been still a little more independent than but whatever, that's fine. Um anyways, if you have any thoughts on this, you know, uh or any suggestions for myself, um I don't know, just having this conversation makes me think I need to apologize to some people. So anyways, hope uh I hope you're going to enjoy this next uh, little talk by my friend Josh. It's a really good experience he had. Oh, let me give you a a little um, intro to this. So my friend Josh is going to tell you a story. And uh, I'll tell you that when this story happened, and Josh is a really good friend of mine, so um, I was aware of what was going on when it happened and i was i said to my wife in bed i said oh i hope everything's okay with him and i i was i really was like worried because um well you'll hear in the story but i just one of those things the radio's on and then you hear this thing and you're like oh wait a minute my friends there this is uh well i don't know it's a big city um i'm not going to give it all away but uh this is a good story the good story he tells um enjoy
1: there from 2007 to 2009 and in the spring of 2009 uh, I was sitting on my couch. Now I want to sort of set up the scene a little bit. Um, I lived with a woman who I had sort of formerly been dating and we were still living together as friends and her um, family was visiting that week and so it was we, we knew uh, in our apartment building we sort of knew the uh, the people in the other apartment building that was sort of level with our apartment we would run into them on our balcony right and so her family was actually staying in their place because that uh, building that apartment was owned by somebody who didn't live in Ecuador full-time and so uh, to sort of set up our apartment you know it uh, had a Big beautiful window that uh, overlooked a valley. It was on the sort of side of a hill or a mountain, actually. Um, great big glass window, and to step outside, we had a sort of a very very nice balcony with chairs and stuff that we could sit in. And um, and we lived on the top floor, top floor, but it was sort of built into the side of a build uh, of a mountain actually, and so um, you know it was like you actually sort of, you walked into the building sort of almost at the top level, and then you sort of walked down sort of along the side of the mountain. But needless to say, it was beautiful. I could sit on my couch every day and just sort of look outside, or, you know, I'll never be able to afford a sort of a a view like that again. There's no doubt about that. So, um, and what a lot of people, you know, uh, you know, don't know, about Ecuador is, is, is that it is, it is that beautiful, right? It's this wonderful city up in, the, or it's a wonderful country in the Andes, and, and Quito is a beautiful, dusty and old city uh, in the Andean Mountains. So that's my setup. Um, Now at that point, uh, there was an airport right in the middle of the city. And as everybody would always say, it's a very difficult airport to fly into actually. Um, And and to be able to fly into Quito, you had to be like a special pilot and, you know, or have a special license or something along those lines. But uh, what. Oh, you know what that meant was you've got a city sort of high up in the mountains that's in sort of a mountainous valley, so and and it's it's an important city so there's flights flying in all the time, so every time a flight came in its flight path happened to be sort of over uh, my building and not just mine like lots and lots of buildings, so you would just hear. <tries> all the time. Um, so, you know, that, uh, became a little frustrating at, at some point. Right. And so, um, uh, but y- you almost deal with it, right? You would literally be talking to somebody in your house. Hey, how you doing? And then you would sort of pick it back up, right? Yeah. Uh, your conversation. So no big deal. Um, so I was sitting on my couch one day after school. I actually got home a little earlier than normal. I, I don't know why. I think uh, I, the robotics class, after school class I taught, was, was not had been canceled that day. So I go home, and I'm sitting on my couch um, watching television. Um, I'm watching uh, 24, actually, which is funny because, uh, you know, 24 is right-wing propaganda, and I'm not right-wing. Or but anyway, entertaining show. And um, I'm sitting on my couch with my back to the valley, watching television, and I hear vroom, vroom, and an explosion like I've never heard before in my entire life. And I turn and I turn about a fourth of a second too late, and all I see is the building next to mine explode. Uh, flames shooting out the top window, I hear glass. The world shook, like my building, a big stone building built into the side of a mountain shook. Um, And I didn't know what happened, but I did know what happened. Uh, A plane had crashed into the building next to me. Now, the building next to me um, was... I would say 25 feet from where I was sitting, um, uh, and the cleaning woman that lived in our building. Her name's Nancy. Nancy ran in and said, um, "You know what happened? What happened? What's going on?" And all you know, all you know, un avión, un avión was my response. It, it was a plane, a plane. Um, and I said, um, you know call the police. Please, Nancy, Nancy, call the police, call call the police. And she just said, you know, está niño, you know, where are my children? Where are my children? And and I said, What's the police number? And all I remember, you know, and it's, and and all this chaos, and really, I mean, it's like the building shook, but the very bones in my flesh shook, right? Um, And I remember her saying, Nueve Uno Uno, and in my brain, sort of taking a note, being like, huh, I've lived here two years, and I never realized it was 911, just like it is in the United States. So anyway, so um, I run outside, and it's chaos. There's people all over the street. And we live in a cul-de-sac. So there's no through traffic. And um, and there's black acrid smoke sort of pouring outside. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. It just crashed into the building in what looked like the apartment of where my roommate's family was living that week. And... um but outside her father ran. And I saw Ed and and all the chaos and the smoke pouring out. And I said, Ed, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I think it was the floor above me. And I said, you know, um, where's your wife? Um, Where's Michelle? That's my roommate. And he said, they're out, they've been shopping. And at that point, I look up from the street view and on the very top floor of that building, I, I see a, a kid or a person um, beating on the window to let them out. And uh, so I run into the building, and I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. And there were two other guys with me, two Ecuadorian guys. And um, we started just opening doors as we ran up the stairwell, is there anybody here? Help! Do, do you need help? Do you need help? No. And at uh, one point, the smoke is a little heavy, and so I take off my shirt and, and put it under water, and um, I turned on a faucet, and you know I put it back on because I was scared of the heat for whatever reason, and um, I get to the top floor, and me and these two guys, we we. Open the door. We open it with our feet. We kick it in as hard as we can, and um, and the heat comes pouring out. Just whoosh, and it's all black smoke. We're on the top floor, and um, and we sort of don't know what to do, and so I run into the apartment that was just right below us and get a bucket of water and sort of throw it on the and run back upstairs and I throw it on the floor and it doesn't really do anything but um, for whatever reason that gave the two Ecuadorian guys the confidence uh, to run in and they ran in and they uh, grabbed that kid that we saw at the window and um, wrapped him in a blanket and ran him back out and as we were going down the stairs I remember we ran into somebody else, and they said, my dog is in here. Mi parrito. Mi parrito está aquí. And we said, um, and I just looked at her like, what? And the guy uh, next to me, the Ecuadorian guy, said, like, fuck your dog. (laughs) This day just makes me laugh. Because half a second after that, we heard the first explosion, um, um, we were at the door at that point, really, because we'd been running down the stairs. And what people don't know is gas stoves and, and dryers and and, um, and your water heater in a place like Ecuador, there's no such thing as central gas. There's uh, propane tanks. So just my apartment had two propane tanks. One, that Heated the water. It sat outside on our balcony, and what, And then we had one by the stove, and it sat there. And I don't know. We had like a little doily on it or something. You know, you didn't notice it, right? But you definitely noticed it when your propane was out. And so as we went outside and turned back, we saw. You know, you start hearing the first explosion, and it was a, a, a propane tank, and. And in my brain, I'm like, oh, my God, every one of these propane tanks are going to start exploding. And everybody, I think, realized that. And we started running to the sort of open end of the cul-de-sac. And what's unfortunate is, I have no idea how many minutes this was, but there were far more reporters than there were EMS and fire trucks. And and that's, that's no fault of the sort of Ecuadorian state or the Catanian government. It's just things... Uh, don't work as well, and there's always more press at an event like this. Um, so everybody started running up, and and it's at that point you start I I start noticing, um, you know, there there's huge pieces of things laying in the street, and there was a piece of the plane, and uh, um, you know there's rubble stuff that could have hit people, and as far as I know, it didn't. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, we all got out of there quick. And the firemen that were there was rushing us out. Get out of here. Get out of here. Like They knew there was real danger. So I, uh, Ed and I go up to the top of the cul-de-sac, and he had run out without shoes, so he didn't have any shoes. Um, and uh, we waited until Michelle and, and her mom had come back, and the family reunited And, um, and so that was it. And, and, you know, there's obviously sort of more to that story. Uh, I think seven people died in the plane, including a kid. I think only one person or maybe two people in the building died. Um, and basically it just, the plane had lost elevation and was flying too low. And so it ran into the top of two buildings, uh, the one next to me and then the one next to that one, it, ran, it sort of went in between them. Uh, so the the body of the plane sort of fell in between the two buildings. And uh, the plane, you know, the wings are what, what destroyed the, the two buildings. Um, and that's the plane crash that I sort of survived through. And... Uh, I, um, you know, there's more after it. There was fear of looting, and there's, there's sort of more to this story. But that that's, uh, was 20 minutes to a half hour of my life uh, one day in the spring of 2009. Thanks for listening.
0: Isn't that a great story by Josh Ferris? When that happened, I was in bed and I remember listening to the radio and I heard, uh, like, the BBC uh, plane crashed in Quito, Ecuador. Several people are dead, and I thought, oh my god, Josh is in Ecuador. And I turned to Kate and I said, oh my god, this is, uh, I hope he's okay. And obviously he was. But at the time, um, you know, this was several years ago. Well, we still had the internet. I don't know. I just didn't, maybe weren't, weren't as close. I, I, I think I texted him or emailed him, but uh, there was a pang in my heart and I was worried about him. And then I went to bed. So uh, then he told me, oh yeah, a plane crash." I was like, oh my God, I, I remember when that happened. I was nervous. I was worried. So great story, Josh Ferris. Thanks for sharing it with us. There will be more shows soon. And thanks for listening.